You know, the funniest part in that Rosie Gray thing, Chris, you recorded. The absolutely funniest part of that piece is that she talks about how she started dating this, like, uh, neo-Nazi guy. And, like, the tension in their relationship was that she was, like, a, a strict Catholic. And he was uh, a member of a neo-pagan religion called the Wolves of Vinland. Yeah, he, he was, a uh, like, a, uh, yeah, you know, a, a neo-pagan group called the Episcopalian Church. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, they're no, called- there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of relationships like that. Uh, just, you know, someone is a Christian and the other person just makes up their own rules. You know, I mean, being a neo-pagan is the same thing as being an Episcopalian because it's like, why even have a religion? Why just, just do yoga? Uh, What's no, the point? What are you accomplishing here? <laughs> it says that their differences went deeper and stranger than that and allowed McHugh to see inside a truly bizarre subculture. McHugh is a Catholic, while Diana was a member of the Wolves of Vinland, <laughs> a group based near Lynchburg that was focused around a neo-pagan theology based on self-improvement and feats of strength. Around Lynchburg? <laughs> so you're just driving by a strip mall that has like seven pho places <laughs> and a, and like fucking David David's computer repair, and you're like, this is exactly the same as fucking 300 BC in Gaul. Feeling You're doing like, chin-ups like in front in, of a crate and barrel. <laughs> yeah. Feeling like I'm in those fjords. I'm doing Talking a, to Freya and Odin. Yeah. Doing feats of strength in front of the Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> this is your uh, neo-pagan theology based on self-improvement and feats of strength as well as coded white nationalism. The idea was to cast off the bonds, the bonds of modern Judeo-Christian society and find a way back to pre-Christian Northern European culture. McHugh sometimes accompanied Deanna on weekend trips down to the wolves' headquarters for what they called a moot, a ceremony in which the assembled wolves would smear ash on their bodies around a fire and give what McHugh described as dramatic speeches about self-sufficiency and relying on the other group members. They would then sit around the fire and drink beers. That was, by oh, the yeah. way, the, in between a Zumba studio and an accountant's office where they would have their fiery feats of strength. Yes. No, I, lo- I love the thing about that, that, that Rosie Gray article about that, that woman. is like the, the message here is like, look, if you, you know, find yourself... If you've fallen into, you know, bad circles like the Daily Caller at Breitbart and then the Wolves of Vinland and you feel bad because it's ruined your career in media and you wish you could be otherwise writing for BuzzFeed or the Daily Beast. But now you can't because, you know, the wolves, the wolves of Vinland. I got two in with the damn wolves. (laughs) The answer is there is a path back to redemption if you feel bad about your lost career opportunities as a DC media person. Well, that and and it will work because that's the only thing that these other lizards in media can relate to is that just pathetic ambition to be in that world and to climb up into it. And so like, they think, see somebody trying to get back cause they fucked up. They're like, Oh man, I see you there. But for the grace of uh, Odin, <laughs> it kind of, it kind of reminds me when people ask me like, uh, like advice and they're like, how do, how do I get into media and move to New York? And I'm like, honestly, you shouldn't like, that's not a dream you should have. No, agreed. And uh, you know, my advice to everyone who, you know, either they, joined you know the valkyries of foggy bottom or you know the 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 honored tribe of the uh mecklenburg fucking mta station any of those just you know glorious terrifying you know blood and soil feats of strength pre-christian orgs and now you want to you know you want to write for one of those websites called like the goonch that's uh (laughs) you know is is uh funded entirely by Procter and Gamble and writes articles that are like, you know, why men should be bleaching their assholes, especially if they're straight. Um, you know, just 
anyone who's involved in media is in media has read media we should it's the world's gonna end anyway just there's no point in any of this you should have no ambition to into any of this in fact you know the ostrogoths of fucking you know woodside woodside acres they may have the right idea uh even though their self-reliant pagan lifestyle is entirely dependent on living in a hyper-industrialized subdivision. Yeah. His draggle, the world tree, got turned into an Ikea bed frame. <laughs> I, like to be, I like to be the brand Stark of Northern Virginia, and I just meditate around like a communal Wi-Fi hub. You well, warg into somebody's uh, cocker spaniel? I, oh, man, I'm warging into a smart fridge right now. Change your Brita filter. Well, uh, along similar lines... Uh, Felix, I wanted to get your thoughts on a, a new phenomenon that I saw this morning and was utterly left dumbstruck by. I'm talking about the, bur- the Burger King, the BK's new ad campaign, where they sell pissed meals and DGAF <laughs> meals this for is depressed <laughs> young millennials. Oh, yeah, they had a really the good... Unhappy meal. They, yeah, had a really, the they had a really good short film where it was just like different types of people who were depressed and pissed. Like, yeah. A woman's boss is a Me Too guy, and this girl gets bullied at school, and this guy wakes up, and he's like, damn, I woke up again today. Fuck. There's a I, teen I mom. There's a, yeah, there's teen a teen mom. mom. There's yeah. a girl who goes to school, and someone carved skank into her locker with like a Fuck, knife. Fuck, I'm going to high school in 1986 again. I hate I'm, it when this happens. My, I need a pissed meal. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite guy in the commercial is just goes, mm, ghosted again. Guess I'll be alone forever. (laughs) (laughs) Time to slowly kill myself with congealed uh, downer cow. Because it's like if you're eating Burger King, like, like, yeah, you're depressed, dude. But that's that's, the thing. They recognize that and they said, well, what's going to make because we know people come to a restaurant because they feel like their life is shit. They want to do violence. They want to do violence with with the Baconator. uh, And so how do we make more of them do it by acknowledging their feelings so that they think we're their friend so that they think we get us because that's the new thing for brands is to be your friend to be like hey you know i get it hey you know uh we here at wendy's we understand imposter syndrome and how hard it is come and have a fucking uh, baconator i mean that that's the new frontier for for branding is trying to be your friend try to pretend that like they get you i want to i want to do new breaking bad where walter white's diagnosed with imposter syndrome <laughs> instead of cancer and he has to quit being a chemistry teacher because he doesn't think he's smart enough. I'll have, but, but uh, I'll have one former gifted and talented student meal, please. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, no, I already talked about this a bit, but on further meditation, I honestly think like early to mid two thousands when like half of all music was just like, damn, I'm fucking pissed because I'm mad. It was emotionally healthier than this cultural moment because yeah. this cultural moment is just every brand being like. If you cut yourself a little bit today, it's okay. Yeah, (laughs) it was. Just eat your feet. Just eat it away. Do skincare. You know, watch watch the adventures. Do whatever. And back then, it was just like if you're pissed, just go crazy. Yeah, break stuff. Yeah, fucking punch your bed, dude. That's what drywalls for. Yeah, say something bad on Xbox Live. You can't get fired for that yet. It's unless. You know, you're like most people in 2003 and just use your full name on Xbox Live. In that case, it's very easy, but otherwise go crazy. Whereas now, if they were to remake the Jeremy video, the Pearl Jam video, in the, in the end of the song, he, uh, Uber Eats would show up and give him a fucking Whopper. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, this is just, it's just profoundly unhealthy because it just shows these like photogenic people being like, damn, feeling like I want to kill myself. Good thing I got fries. <laughs> <What's>, <laughs> 
like subtext is just like just shovel all your feelings down. Just yes. shove them down. It, 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 we should all feel like this. Yeah, everyone who eats this food should feel like this all the time. But it's okay because you can just inure yourself with just fucking factory farmed garbage. That's the funniest <laughs> part. Yeah. So I read the article about this. They're different boxes. They're different colors. One's blue. That's for sad people. One's red. That's for pissed people. One is D- don't give a fuck. I don't know what that means. DGF. That one is like the the don't give a fuck burger. Honestly, that should just be like random scraps that they just swipe off the counter <laughs> into it. Scrape off like, the We fight. don't give a fuck either, buddy. <laughs> but they're all the same meal. It's just a Whopper and fries. They're no different. So it's. How, how much more like perfectly emblematic can you get? You got this rich texture of, ooh, look at all the different feelings you can feel at Burger King. But in reality, it's just the same like corn slurry fried and shaped into the same forms. That's it. But uh, imagine, imagine you're a cow who was killed in front of his mother, who is then ripped apart. So you could do some middle manager could be like, I'm feeling like DJF today. <laughs> <laughs> there's no toys. Morrissey is so right. There's yeah. no toys in the meal. Yeah. I mean, the fucking piss meal should come with a gun and one bullet. No, honestly. they should come I, with a, some dude, sort of adult happy meal toy. It would, it would be so funny if you're like, you know, this is, this is going to be a hit in Ohio and only Ohio. Because, like, someone's going to, like, they're going to do their favorite thing that they do in the Midwest, which is almost get into a fight in a parking lot. And then to, like, show that they're, like, show how they're really feeling, they're going to order a DJF meal. Oh, oh, or, or you and your wife are fighting and you wordlessly both order pissed meals and go to opposite corners of Burger King. (laughs) Avoid eye contact. Just tear into those bergs. Oh, man. Uh, It, it, uh, it. What a bad time! Awful, awful what time. Well, the, I mean, the, blue the point you made is that, is that is that brands, which we've now gone over a decade, you know, without uh, Deftones or Corn, and brands have taken that space. Right, that's what I've said. Like, you know, it used to be you could turn on music and like, or col- all culture, there was like a, a vast ocean of feeling, like. If you were depressed and wanted to get out of it, you could listen to Thug Motivation. Yeah, but now every yeah. song is just like. We're gonna party. Beep boop boop beep boop boop boop. We're gonna party. Beep boop 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 beep beep boop. That's every yeah, song. Well, I think I don't think it's a coincidence that now is the era where we try to read more meaning into sort of like meaningless algorithmic or same thing being produced by Swedish men songs yeah. uh, that are just like it's fun to hold hands with a boy. Yeah, because uh, it, it's all Scandinavians who write these music, and those guys don't have any emotions. Right. So they're translating that now. All of our musical is just this. Like, totally fried circuit, no emotions, like, could put out a cigarette in your palm and not feel anything, uh, emotional register, because it's all being made by the same anhedonic Swedes. We need pissed Americans making music again. Right. And the debt, like, people make fun of the Deftones because all their fans had Vegeta haircuts and wore (laughs) bondage pants. But, you know, they they didn't need a meal to show their feelings. Yeah. The, you can just feel things, people. You don't have to have, like, a branded yeah, emotional experience. I would say that, it's, it's fine. It's fine to just be like, just go fucking haywire on your on, on your drywall. <laughs> it, it, Mudvayne could never succeed today, by no, the way. No. Because not it's not okay. It's not None okay. of those bands with masks. I think there is this sort of. It started in 2012. It was very insidious. We never really noticed it at the time. It just as a thing to make fun of it. Do you remember this awful three-word term to describe oneself? A uh, mental health advocate. Ooh, that used to be in like you know B B list celebrities bios on Twitter, mm. and then just random people. And it just means 
nothing. It means less than nothing. Unless you're Johnny's son. He's the only real, true mental health yeah. advocate on the But internet. mental health advocate, it just means, like, like, like what, you don't want to kill yourself? <laughs> Would you say that about any other type of health? Like, even people who wear, like, fuck cancer t-shirts are, like, anti-cancer activists. <laughs> just because you don't want people to have cancer or don't want yourself to have cancer. And just the concept, the concept of mental health, just this incredibly nebulous thing to people who maybe took one psychology class like 12 years ago it became this catch-all for whatever bad feeling we felt and the result came to be we could never actually explore those feelings we could never just there could never be an entire song about being pissed you could never get so uh dissociated from your surroundings that you and all your friends wore masks in your band <laughs> there could be no mushroom head slipknot or mud vein and it just it just became like this big communal impersonal group hug that doesn't make anyone feel better now we have this it's just it's a completely pointless exercise that doesn't like make anyone feel better but it's our national register on it and i don't, I don't think it's a coincidence either that it's at a time when fewer and fewer people have access to any type of actual material care for any of their medical needs, but it's uh it's a good time to live. I would say the the way we can um you know uh, combat this phenomenon uh you know through popular culture is to promote um you know music that, of people who are in touch with their feelings and emotions, and I'm speaking specifically about um Brendan Brantley and NBA Stupid Ass. Yeah. Brendan Brantley sings, you know, about the real downtrodden man, the guy who works at the factory to give money to Colin Kaepernick. You know? um, uh, well, it, you know, yeah, it's it's a it's a sad state when when the brands have become all of our sort of collective therapist. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say you hate to see it, but but it's I, I wouldn't go that far. But <laughs> it, it, it's it's not even like I mean because a lot of therapists are good at these are like the therapists that aj soprano had when he tried to kill himself and tony immediately started hitting on her <laughs> just <laughs> like all the bad therapists in the sopranos the, the one and, that the and, one that meadow goes to see and she's yeah. like yeah don't go to college just fuck around yeah yeah self-care <laughs> yeah. that was david chase is such a prophet and the the jewish therapist who was mean to carmella oh he was the, the best therapist. that was stained yeah <laughs> listen you know we like to make fun of stain but listen all those songs it's aaron stain being like you know what i'm a piece of fucking shit too like they're very they're more they're they have a lot more depth in this cultural moment well, i will argue that in earnest well uh moving on from things that you know maybe we don't like to see to things that we we love to see and i wanted to talk about this at the top of the show because it was uh such a good story this week and so, you know, in tune with uh, our, our many of the characters and people that we love. I'm talking, of course, about the latest saga featuring young Griff and John Connington, a.k.a. Jacob Wall and Jack Berkman, two of the most, like, genius-level political, you know, players on the board. They are playing at a level that is, their OPSEC is unparalleled. And you may remember them from our encounter with them at CPAC, where they... Uh, Handed out a confidential memo that was immediately made unconfidential. <laughs> it was released according for to their, public uh, According to their deep internet research of following her on Instagram, they've concluded that Ilan Omar married her brother to gain s- citizenship in America. Yeah. Before that, you may have known their greatest hit. Um, 
bringing a woman to a Washington DTC press conference who then ran away and got on a flight back to LA immediately uh, to um, accuse Robert Mueller of rape, the uh, former head of the FBI. And then, of course, immediately just they were like, they're like, that's done. We're not yeah, talking and, about and it now anymore. Now Robert Mueller is in prison. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they yeah. got him. But he's also conducting the arrest against uh, um, the deep state. Yeah. Against uh, John Legend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Emerald, she, all the most powerful people who are engaged in the adrenochrome ring. They tried to suborn, basically, I don't know, I guess it's not perjury because it's not in the courtroom, but they yeah. tried to, literally, they were like, would you like to falsely accuse a former FBI director of raping you in a live press conference covered by the national media? Sure. Oh, wait, you don't want to do that? We'll just go ahead anyway. Uh, they're back, folks. They're back. And when you know it, they have a totally new thing that they're doing. No one's tried this before. It's uh, instead of doing that to FBI director Robert Mueller, uh, they're doing it to presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg. (laughs) I mean, if you described like these two guys and they're like, yeah, so their first thing, their first project together was to accuse a former FBI director and then independent federal prosecutor of rape. And then to get a guy who's was an officer in the in the military and a McKinsey consultant and a current like establishment pick for president and be like, he also did a rape after that one fell apart. I'd be like, these guys must get arrested like every day. <laughs> and no, these guys, no. I want to read these guys do such a bad job of their, of their hilarious capers. They would get fired from police Academy. <laughs> they would be like, I'm sorry, we have to let you go. You're too bumbling and oafish for it, us. It's like, yeah, it's like a Brewster's millions thing where they're trying to get arrested, but they can't even pull it <laughs> yeah, off. Right. It's <laughs> like they accidentally discover that America is a racist nation because they're like, wait, why the fuck aren't we like being arrested constantly? Uh, Jacob Wall had like a, a distant relative who was like, in order to inherit the wool family fortune in the state, you have one month to get arrested of accusing every police officer, every high level federal official in America of rapes. Do you think they have like Ricky from Trailer Park Boys power <laughs> when it comes to like federal, like the FBI comes to their houses? They're like, they're just, oh yeah, the FBI, the, they're like, uh, we're, the FBI comes to their house to arrest them, and then they have the Ricky energy where they're just like, nah, didn't do it, man, wasn't yeah, me. Holy, got any fu- smokes? Who could be Jacob Wool's Trevor and Corey? <laughs> we should, we should do. <laughs> yeah, I would do that. I would I absolutely to, uh, take the full form. The, this is the Daily Beast covering it. There's a lot. There's some gems in this article. So it says here. Uh, a Republican source told the Daily Beast that lobbyist Jack Berkman and internet troll Jacob Wall approached him last week to try to convince him to falsely accuse Buttigieg of engaging him sexually while he was too drunk to consent. The source who spoke to the Daily Beast said Berkman and Wall made clear that their goal was to kneecap Buttigieg's momentum in the 2020 presidential race. Uh, the source provided Daily Beast with surreptitious audio recording of the media meeting, which corroborates his account. In it, Wall refers to Buttigieg as a terminal threat to Donald Trump's reelection <laughs> next year. Uh, neither Berkman nor Wall responded to repeated requests for comment on the story. Uh, it says, on Monday, a separate individual using the name Hunter Kelly published a post on the site Medium in which he alleged that Buttigieg sexually assaulted him in February. The post was tweeted out by David Wall, Jacob's father, and quickly rewritten by the site Big League Politics. <laughs> and, uh, love like, their chew, I went, love okay, their when politics. This, when that story broke, uh, it was like, Pete Buttigieg is accused of rape. I was like, you know, obviously sirens go off. I'll, be like, I'll click through on this. And then the fact that it was, in, it was on Medium... And no details of this encounter were shared at all. It just said, I struggled really hard with this, but now it's time to share my story. Please follow this site for details to come at a future date. It's just sort of like, I was like, "Mm, well, 
something you know i'd like i'd like to know more and then yeah. literally within 12 hours it was like oh this is a, a wall berkman production hell yeah i knew it was i knew it was because that medium post was like the gabbo is coming of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, i was like there's no way dude by the there's, way check out my soundcloud yeah i like Buttigieg. i see i think that in uh 2022 uh, LinkedIn becomes self-aware. <laughs> they create a Terminator. <laughs> they, they send, send him back, back in time. Have to become president. Yeah, no, he's like, I mean, his policy position, it is like shooting T-1000 almost. Yeah. Further details from this, it says, uh, Kelly said he expressed concerns about the scheme, but Wall told him to sleep on it. When Kelly woke up around 11 a.m., Wall was, quote, was already dressed in a suit because quote he can't do a monday if he isn't in a suit <laughs> oh he's like the opposite of garfield <laughs> he loves them loves those mondays also kelly said what's the opposite of lasagna that is i mean he he really like i feel bad for him to an extent because it is it is like you know he could have been roger stone if the internet didn't exist yeah because oh, yeah. he has every stupid thing that roger stone like down no, Roger Stone got good at that because there was no internet at the right, time, right, so you could just say anything. Right back, yeah, even until like 2002, you could just be like, "Yeah, uh, Al Gore actually owns slaves." <laughs> <laughs> and for like a week, people would be like, "Whoa, for real!" And then they could, you know, you'd have Dr- to make Drudge would link to it. Yeah, yeah you, but you, you know, back then you'd have to like write a letter to you know uh, the federal slave commissioner, and you'd see <laughs> that Al Gore didn't own any slaves, but like now you can instantly check it and you know it's sort of like me and quaaludes i was born at the wrong time to do them and jacob wool was born at the wrong time to you know if donald trump was elected in fucking 1980 jacob wool would have been like he would have been higher than stephen miller oh yeah he'd be like chief of staff or something it, it is can you a, imagine if you and him were both in the 80s you doing quaaludes and dirty tricks it would rule you're wearing uh, don johnson blazers and shit oh my god i well I would actually not do Quaaludes because I could have fi- I could have been an esports champion back then. What at playing Tetris? The, the ET game. <laughs> I would be the only one who played it. He's so the only the guy who could jump out of the pit. Yeah. <laughs> be the greatest in the world. So I would be the ninja. I would be the ninja of that time. But Twitch streams were just recording a Betamax and mailing it to people. <laughs> but, so there's just a couple more really hilarious details here. Uh, uh, Kelly's. This is quoting Hunter Kelly now, the guy who. Uh, you know, supposedly did this medium post. By the said, way, never trust a guy where both of his names are types of green. Types of green? Hunter Green and Kelly Green. Ah. We got a color fan over you know, here. I actually, yeah. Someone's been looking at swatches. You know, I actually, I actually, I was hanging out from Quagmire from with Family Guy last week, <laughs> and we actually smoked some Hunter Green, and he's actually a very humble guy in real life. <laughs> he smoked some, we smoked some of that Northern Lights Hunter Green. So he says, uh, of Kelly speaking now says, Jack Berkman may have promised me a lavish lifestyle, but at a price that would cost me the two most important things to me, honesty and integrity. How could Jack, Jack, Berkman, Jack Berkman, Berkman, Jack Berkman, Jack Berkman was born wearing a fraudulent neck brace. Like, <laughs> what fucking, what, what, like he, there is a bathrobe he nicked from like the Trump hotel in Manhattan. What, what lifestyle, uh, any Uber that goes, you know, within five miles of this location, it's all yours right now. I would just love. I have a, I have some old movie stubs. If you can get in the theater, you can just keep seeing movies all day, Hunter. <laughs> he, got, he, got, he got fired from his uh, law practice by his partner, Saul Goodman. 
You fuck Jack Jack Berkman. I mean Jack Berkman should honestly we should he should be like he's like sort of like the noble savage from Brave New World. Like <laughs> we should study him because Grifter like grifters now and like scam artists now are just boring. They just go on the computer and they're like, uh yeah, you have a mega virus and the only way you can fix it is by giving me a thousand dollars. Or you call someone up and say, Yes, hello, uh this is the government. We you owe us money, please send Amazon gift cards. Yeah, exactly. But Berkman, Berkman's like old school. Berkman, like there aren't a lot of guys like him anymore. But no, he's like a Jack Jack Thompson character. Oh yeah, a Jim Thompson character. Sorry, I just no. I would love like this Hunter Kelly guy. Like as we said, we've seen these two guys and just being like, yo, I will, I will do anything to live that kind of lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) Not even being led into CPAC, having to do, having to like do a press conference and at an escalator. In front, of, in front of an escalator and a large sweating man who's smiling in, in very intensely. Yeah, Jack, uh, Jack Berkman like in, inducts you into the into the lifestyle of 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 being a a, a canny political operator by showing you how to uh, take dinner rolls out, out of di- Golden Corral in your pockets. Like the secret is, you got to wait for the hostess to turn around. He, he does the Alan Partridge large plate <laughs> trick at, at uh, all buffets. <laughs> Yeah, Jack. What what did Jack Berkman's like offer to Hunter Kelly was like? All right, I have a Seven Eleven fountain cup. <laughs> Any Seven Eleven you go to, all the soda. And if you're you're good, I think I look at you. You remind me of a younger version of me. You probably even get some slushy in there, honestly. <laughs> and you know, you keep going with this. You say that Camilla Harris also did me too stuff to you. You know, we could be talking. You may get. You know, you may. You know, you're a bi-coastal person. You know, you may get my In-N-Out cup. And that's, well, you think about it, like, that's soda everywhere. <laughs> you bring this Hunter, up. Hunter, you like soda. You like a good lifestyle, right? <laughs> you, 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 bring, you bring up the, the, the fountain soda scam. But in the story, there's also this detail. It says, uh, so it says, yeah, when Kelly woke at around 11 a.m., where he says, oh, already dressed, he can't do Monday if he's not in a suit. Uh, the fabricated statement had been posted to Medium along with a fake Twitter and Gmail accounts in Kelly's name. Imagine being this dude and you're just like, guys, I don't really know about that. They're like, totally cool, sleep on it. You wake up the next morning, there's a Medium post with your name on it saying a presidential candidate raped you. Oh, God. <laughs> and you're like, he's like, oh, guys, I mean, I, I don't know about this. He says, according to Kelly, Berkman tried to calm his nerves by claiming that he was a star and people are eating him up. You're a star, kid. Oh, Jesus God. Christ! This is like this is like a politics version of Lou Dirk, Perlman. Yeah, like when Dirk Diggler met fucking Burt Reynolds. I know, but here, oh, here's what goes. No, I no, love no, no. Burt Reynolds. So he says, "Kid, you're gonna be a star." And then it says, "The trio, according to Kelly, ate Subway sandwiches during which Kelly continued to express his regrets." Berkman and Wall tried to calm him down by promising to purchase any house I wanted and insisting that his family would get over it. You're eating at Subway. You're like your fucking carrot to calm this guy down was an Italian BMT. <laughs> you couldn't even take him to his steakhouse. Oh my god! Take take, to- you're sitting in a Subway under just like harsh air conditioning. Jacob Wool's cufflink fell into your fountain drink. That's just an old fountain drink cup from Jack Berkman's car. And he's like, yeah, we're going to buy you a fucking house. <laughs> Your goes, family will never have to work again, Hunter. Uh, Bergman goes to him, he goes, yeah, you get that sub. You can get all, any fixings you want. They're on me. And he's thinking, that idiot doesn't know that they're all free. 
<laughs> he says that, and then Berkman's like, ah, I knew I was dealing with an equal. <laughs> and then one last hilarious detail from this. Wall, according to Kelly, said the scheme was part of a task force set up by the Donald Trump administration. <laughs> Even Donald Trump would be like, like when Donald Trump... Donald Trump has enough good instinct that when he lies about someone, it's just so weird and vague and doesn't get bogged down in specifics that, like, it's enough for his surrogates to be like, well, you know, he's technically he could be correct under this circumstance. He would never, like, go, he would never do this. I mean, A, it's just too much work. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. No, it, like, the whole plumber's operation is way too complicated for anybody in that administration to bother with. That would be pretty fucking cool if there was like a mike airman trap like there is like just an old creep guy yeah old plumber who's like they the trump people are like you have to sort these guys out <laughs> he's just like g gordon liddy's still around let's if get you're him liddy, back if you're liddy and you're watching this like what are you thinking <laughs> you're just so frustrated i bet you're just holding your hand over the flame and staring at <laughs> jack Burkman's <laughs> eyes be like fucking sort yourself out idiot Jack Berkman is like a guy that the plumbers would kill for practice. Yeah, he's not even like involved in this game. And like, I just like this 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 Hunter Kelly guy. I mean this this doe eyed nitwit who's just got like <laughs> caught up in this fucking idiotic scheme. Like at any point with them or like the woman who like literally got on a plane at Dulles, like and at Dulles, and then left. immediately went back as soon as she knew. She's like, "Oh, wait a second, I'm going to be on national TV." Um lying about a crime that the former head of the fbi did to me no thank you yeah. they went along with it themselves and now this idiot is just sitting at subway pondering his future i'm like wool and burke okay i just got done getting sued over a tweet and these guys are out here literally accusing like i said a former fbi director and presidential candidate of rape and nothing has happened to them no legal consequences and i gotta say it kind of owns, and I'm here for it. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's just like a, we're doing a crime spree in public, and no one's bothering to arrest us. I mean, it, it is like that. Is, it, it's that would illegal, be like, right? It's this it's, is there's got to be something. This has to be the right. At the least, lawsuits. Yeah, like they're on tape being like, "Would you do crimes for <laughs> us?" Okay. I mean that that should be the criminal justice. Just treat everyone like Berkman and Wall. Like, okay, have you ever seen, you've seen the Pusher movies, right? Oh, oh cool. yeah. I love them. I love those movies. But, like, in the first one, when he's, like, trying to get rid of the drugs, like, in the first arrest, and, like, they, they get him with, like, 80 million pounds of coke on him, and they're like, all right, you have to go to jail for three weeks. <laughs> like, that's what it should just be like. Yeah. Like, I don't, yeah. No, this is like, these guys, it's like pain and gain if they didn't use steroids. Yeah. Like, just absolute oafs doing crimes in public and then somehow not getting arrested although right. those guys eventually went to jail we'll see i think like two yeah to an extent like if we're just treat most crimes like this we'll have a more whimsical country yeah absolutely like the, clearly this is a country that needs to laugh yeah like all our all our food products are you know being like <laughs> you know it's okay if when you come to burger king you can take your bracelets off to show that you're cutting show us that you're cutting yourself it's okay um if there were more just like goofy hucksters and guys like this, just if there were more oafs, yes, it was more. We okay need public be, oafs. Yeah, we got an oaf deficit right now. If we had like you know, a, you know, our justice system was incredibly racially biased, and just people, all types of people could try things like this. Yeah, and no one gets hurt, but yeah. it's just like just 
do whatever. Yeah. Just you have know, fun. Yeah. Get crazy. Yeah, have calliope have, music piped into every public space. There should be a white guy who claims that he's Steve Harvey's son. That should be a story for two weeks. There should be there 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 can be there can be like a Hasid and a black guy like fucking accuse uh, uh, accuse John Brennan of like selling them a car that blew up. <laughs> like it would be funny. And if you get, it wouldn't last more than a week because we'd take a now with computers, you could just be like, yeah, no, that never happened. But for a week, we'd be like, oh, look at these, guys. look at these guys, you know. I think Wall and Berkman should like start speaking in fake British accents so they could really like be heir to the the Duke and the Dauphin from yes, Huckleberry yes, Finn, yes, you know, yes. and just like go down the Mississippi on a river, just like <laughs> um, just accusing the the mayor of every town they go in of uh, raping them. Yep. Yeah, instead of yeah, and like Huck Finn, they. They trick kids into accusing people of rape instead of uh, painting, <laughs> the, fence. painting the fence. We, yeah. During like the the like first stage of the Mueller investigation, me and my family had like a running joke about like Trump's genius ploy to get out of it would be to me to Robert Mueller, <laughs> and he just does a shitty job of it. And he's like, tried to touch my Johnson, really, really <laughs> not good. And that's what happened. That's literally what they're doing. Wait a second. Wait a second. That's literally what Moby did to Trump. <laughs> Moby put his dick on Trump's hand. Early, he claimed that in he a did. recent interview. Yes, he said that. He said it was after 9-11 and he was so depressed on, and on drugs, his friends dared him to do it and he just like touched Trump's hand with his penis. What the fuck? What? <laughs> what? Our you president, didn't see that? Our president is an assault survivor. <laughs> what the fuck? He's been doing, he's been doing this president stuff as self-care. Okay. Fox News one day ago, uh, Moby says he rubbed his penis on Trump. The singer makes the bizarre claim in his upcoming memoir, Then It Fell Apart. In it, Moby details the alleged prank on Trump, as well as his past flings with actresses Natalie Portman and Christina Ricci. Don't care about that. He became Trump in that. <laughs> like, he's bragged. No, he literally became yeah. Trump in that because he brags about, like, doing an assault. And then he's like, I had Christina Ricci. When she was good, folks. <laughs> he, said, uh, he wrote that when he and his friends who had been drinking, noticed Trump standing a few yards away from them. One pal suggested Moby knob touch Trump, which he explains when you take your penis out of your pants at a party and brush it up against someone. Uh, really, I asked? Should I? Moby wrote in the excerpt. He described Trump as a mid-level real estate developer and tabloid newspaper paper staple whose career had been recently resuscitated by reality. Shit, I said, realizing I now had to knob touch Donald Trump. I drank a shot of vodka to brace myself, pulled my flaccid penis out of my pants, casually walked past Trump, trying to brush the edge of his jacket with my penis. Luckily, he didn't seem to notice or even twitch. I gotta I say. Think, I think Trump should respond to that story, but be like, Moby, he loves Trump. He loves MAGA. He put his penis in my jacket pocket. <laughs> he was wonderful. That's a, sign of, uh, that's a sign of approval in many cultures. Uh, this honestly sounds like a fucking lie. <laughs> I'm going to be like this. Because Moby's told some tall tales before. Indeed. Do you remember when Moby said the CIA told him to post about Trump Russia? No. God, <laughs> I love Moby. I'm a huge <laughs> defender of Moby. Moby is a friend of animals. Moby's Moby and Morrissey. Movies. You don't like their music, but you just like them as people. Right, exactly. <laughs> I think that, you know, Moby's music, too upbeat. Morrissey, you know, stop being so sad, buddy. But great guys. No, I think I, I'm a huge defender of Moby's music. That extreme ways born soundtrack fucking bangs if you're like me and you spend an hour a day doing kovacs aim trainer that's your fucking song you're turning into jason born on the keyboard and mouse but i think like most musicians he's dumb i i will say this i know 
only like a handful of musicians who I don't think would like, you know, be fooled by Jack Burton. <laughs> you know, Keith Buckley is one. Keith Buckley is a smart guy. I don't think he would be fooled by Jack Burton. But Moby, some tall tales. Yeah. Although you got to say, if you're going to have someone put someone's hand on your dick, make it Donald Trump because it would look really big because his oh, hands are so fucking small. Yeah. Am I right? He's got, he's got small hands, so the dick, the dick would look big in the small hands because his hands are small. Yeah. Well, um... Oh, uh, Donald a, Trump. Donald, Donald Trump has a hand in his fucking dick every day when he claps because he's a dick. <laughs> My name's Trevor Noah, <laughs> and this is Pod Save the Daily Show. Well, this is uh, sort of turning into Donald a Trump, a self self care, self harm uh, episode of the show, and I think now would be an appropriate time to check in on one of our favorite characters and simply ask ourselves: Is David Brooks okay? Yeah, what's, what's going what's on? What's he up Dave? to? What's going on? Like, with what's you? up with his feelings? I hear that David Brooks has terminal imposter syndrome. <laughs> Prayers up. I hear he's in his feelings, whatever that yeah. means. <laughs> yeah, no, David Brooks continues to have feelings and share them with the world. And um, the, on the you know sort of on the occasion of the publication of his next best-selling book called The Second Mountain, there has been a oh, it's about tits, real mature David. <laughs> <laughs> There's been an avalanche of uh, profiles of him. Um, about um, his supposed flirtations with becoming a Christian, moving from being Jewish to Christian, and his um, his new uh, bride, his child bride, his, his, well, yes, his child bride, who is uh, a very serious uh, evangelical Christian herself. Uh, Fran- he met an evangelical Christian at Yale. David, you are the magic man. Uh, no, that we uh, fans of the show will remember we've checked in on this storyline before. He met her when he was. Uh, his research assistant on his last book called The Road to Character, which is about how to live a you know moral and virtuous life. Yeah. Well, most guys well, I almost have, said wife. Most, oops. <laughs> most guys have to take the road to character to find the clit. <laughs> so his, uh, his, his new book is called The Second Mountain, and this has come out after you know his second marriage. And he's in a new stage in his life. He's, he's feeling things that you know, he hasn't felt in a long time because he's been imbued by the, the love of a, a much younger woman. <clears throat> I'm just going to read here from the uh, jacket copy for the Second Mountain to give you a, just sort of a an idea of where his headspace is at before we go into some of these profiles of him. Every so often, you meet people who radiate joy. Their names are Jacob Wall and Jack. <laughs> <laughs> no, every so often you meet people who radiate joy, who seem to know why they were put on this earth, who glow with a kind of inner life. Life for these people has often followed what we might think of as a two mountain shape. They get out of school, they start a career, and they begin climbing the mountain they thought they were meant to climb. Their goals on, the, on this first mountain are the ones our culture endorses, to be a success, to make your mark, to experience personal happiness. But when they get to the top of that mountain, something happens. They look around and find the view unsatisfying. They realize, this wasn't my mountain after all. There's another, bigger mountain out there that is actually my mountain. So uh, in case you were wondering, is there a New York Times columnist capable of basing a book on a more fatuous metaphor than even Thomas Friedman? (laughs) Your answer is yes. And it's David Brooks and his second mountain, which he's using to describe some sort of uh, midlife crisis when you're like, I'm David Brooks. I know all the right people. I'm uh, friends with all the smartest people. Uh, But for some reason... Uh, there's an emptiness inside of me that is just unquenchable. Because... I don't want to fuck my wife anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's what it boils down to. I'm bored of that pussy. I want an upgrade. That's it. In this book, 
this book is meant to help us all lead more meaningful lives, but it's also provocative social commentary. We live in a society, Brooks argues, <laughs> oh, that, ce- that celebrates what? freedom. Gamers rise up. <laughs> that tells us to be true to ourselves at the expense of surrendering to a cause, rooting ourselves in a neighborhood, binding ourselves to other by social solidarity and love. We have taken individualism to the extreme, and in the process, we have torn the social fabric in a thousand different ways. The path to repair is through making deeper commitments. In the second mountain, Brooks shows what can happen when we put commitment-making at the center of our lives. Uh, you mean after decommitting? Yeah, well, yeah, obviously. To the thing, the marriage that you've Sometimes, like, you realize when, when you get life. to the top of the second mountain, you actually realize it's a mountain on the bottom of the ocean, and you're there because there's some sort of anchor tied around your neck that's dragged you to the bottom, and now hagfish are consuming your bloated, <laughs> pale corpse. But there is a way out to the mountain and the surface, um, if only you get rid of that first anchor and find a second anchor that's actually a balloon that will take you to the top and yep. you'll see everything. Okay. So, like I said, this has inspired a number of profiles of David and his sort of, I guess you could say, um, religious and emotional questioning at this point in his life because I think, you know, a lot of the people who read the New York Times and the Washington Post sort of identify with this type of character. So uh, this is the first one in, um, this is, uh, in, the, in New York Magazine. Let's start here. It says, um, it was 2013 and David Brooks was in the wilderness, not the literal desert or jungle or anything like that, but the emotional wilderness of an accomplished man who in midlife has discovered a deep emptiness at his core. Horniness. He's horny. I like it. It took David Brooks this long to realize that he's an utterly empty person. Yeah. He wrote you a think whole all book those, all those like years, years for the- ago about like, yeah, the goal for life is to have a patio. You talk about patio. Oh, we'll get man. into the patio, man. David, David they Brooks, come back. David Brooks is kind of like he's like a reverse Xer. Like he starts out like when he was younger, he starts out being like, "Yeah, all you need is a patio, Alexis. You know, you go to the farmers market, you listen to jazz done by like forty-seven-year-old uh, white guys named Keith." But how would it? I mean, how could you not know? Oh, this is absolutely empty and vapid, and 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 will only lead to uh, hollowness. I don't know. You think that his years of writing for the Weekly Standard might have given him a clue that he was just basically hollow inside. But, you know, but when again, your marriage of 27 years, when it falls apart, the genteel conservatism in which he was nurtured and raised was morphing into something craven, naked and raw. Lonely and living alone in an apartment in Washington, D.C., Brooks, 52 at the time, took stock and saw that in his rise to the pinnacle of American punditry, he had failed to make or keep meaningful friendships. And what was happening to him, Brooks writes in his new book, The Second Mountain, was happening on a nationwide scale. The crisis in our politics is created by the crisis in our sociology and in our relationships and in our morals, he told me, looking preppy, eager, and somewhat slighter than I'd imagined as we sat drinking coffee at a chain restaurant near Carnegie Hall. I love that he extrapolates this out, that like this, uh, this personal feeling of emptiness that I have inside as being just a sold out fucking shell who let's be honest if you rise to the top of american punditry you're either a sociopath or essentially empty as a person without you know value morality or friends yes right so he's like yeah could it be that what i'm feeling is actually a crisis that our entire country is experiencing right now it's like uh no most people are just stressed out because they like don't have access to you know a a doctor yeah right or their job is like literally killing them every fucking day also i'm confused so uh according to david brooks throughout his career he has said that 
uh, oh, you don't need to redistribute wealth to make people have more stable lives. They just need to have better values because if you get married, that'll make your life more uh, stable and, and you'll thrive. Shouldn't he, as soon as he got divorced, have instantly like lost everything and become a fucking hobo? I mean, like that. His whole argument, the argument of social conservatism, is that is is that they switch it and say that uh, that like marital and relationship instability is the cause of economic struggle, not the other way around. Mm. So he should have become instantly homeless, like fucking Mel Brooks and life stinks. What the hell happened? David he Bro- kept all of his money. I don't get it. Well, what or happened? Half was, of it anyway. <laughs> what happened was David Brooks it's still a shitload of money. Yeah, seriously. Well, what happened was David Brooks. He had, there was a situation similar to the movie Antichrist <laughs> with him and his wife, <laughs> and they're both their their most prized you know product of their their Bose home stereo <laughs> fell out of a window. And they had just raw, primalistic <laughs> sex in over the pants hand job while watching Ken Burns. And you know, really, you can't really you can't go back to your marriage after that. They're like they're uh, they're 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 walking through some sort of like the mid end of a dark forest, and they just like peer under a shrub, and there's just like some blood soaked little fox fetus that just l- stares up and looks at him and goes. We're experiencing a crisis of morals in our society. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, pain, grief, and despair. That is the David Brooks oeuvre, the three beggars. Um, so he goes, uh, just continuing here, he says, but do you know, did you know that um, they actually had to use a prosthetic dick for David Brooks, too? <laughs> packing. It was, like, too big. It was distracting. <laughs> That's why New York Times pivoted away from video. David Brooks's <laughs> huge cock was like too distracting for people. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's in a funk. Uh, but it says, but Brooks picked himself up. He landed a gig. Where else? Yale. Teaching a class about what else? Humility. With a syllabus including works by Edmund Burke, Reinhold Niebuhr, and himself. Nothing better than having a fucking course on humility where you fucking assign your own goddamn book. His emotionally arid existence bloomed again thanks to the loving presence of a woman, Ann Schneider, his researcher at the New York Times and 23 years his junior. After years of chaste but charged email exchanges mm-hmm. on subjects such as Dorothy oh. Day and St. Augustine, oh. Snyder, agreed that is a courtship. Oh, Snyder agreed to go on a date with Brooks in 2016. They married in 2017. Oh, that's some modern lo- and Hillowy <laughs> shit right there. <laughs> I would love to see their sex. <laughs> oh, what, are you, what are you wearing right now? I'm wearing Gant, uh, pleated pack khakis, uh, bar- barber quilted English hunting coat. Seven seven layers of collared shirts. <laughs> That's her. Oh yeah. Oh my god, I'd love to put a fucking scarf on you. <laughs> you make me you make me so fucking hard. Just imagining going to a book fair with you. Did you uh, I would love I would I would love to swap out your bookmark and replace it with mine. Hey, you fucking like that? <laughs> Did you know that uh Saint Augustine himself was uh horny at one time or another? No Saint uh, 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 uh Confessions is a is a great book. Uh, I mean, I don't like that he stole the title from Usher, but uh, he, because he's like, he just fucks nonstop. But the thing where he thinks he's like furthest from God is when he steals pears. He steals pears. Yeah, yeah. that was in the Rosie Gray piece, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Katie McHugh read the <laughs> pear stealing thing. And she was like, yeah, this is like, this is like watching a guy try to throw a log <laughs> you know behind a strip mall this is the same shit but uh it, 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 August, augustine yeah augustine fucked fucked <laughs> he was a zen star pimp i'm just yeah. imagining brooks 
setting up their first fuck session at like a Wyndham, like Matthew Broderick and election. <laughs> <laughs> but, and they would be greeted by the Wyndham Wizard. The Wyndham Wizard was there. He'll watch your fuck. <laughs> a Tormund Giants yeah. man was like, welcome, David Brooks. To Get your, it in. Uh, your first post-marriage sexual assignation. <laughs> the Wyndham pervert. This is, uh, this is, okay, I, this wait, there's is more about David pervert. Brooks fucking. I, I need to get to Oh, yes, yes, yes. This is what because, I'm about. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm fixing the nut right uh, now. Um, blah, blah, blah. They married the second mountain purports, purports to describe hyper individualism, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it would not be hyperbole to say that it is also both explicitly and between the lines, a gushing pan to it's romance. Gushing, all right. It's a gushing pan. It's a squirting pan. <laughs> to romance. That's, that's, that's people. Joe Dirt, I got the pan on me. <laughs> A gushing pan to romance from a gobsmacked man happily rediscovering sex. As such, <laughs> it is full of cringeworthy aphorisms. Oh, boy. Love, writes, Brooke, writes Brooks, plows open the hard crust of our personality and exposes the fertile soil below. Oh, oh I love thinking about this. <laughs> I absolutely think of David Brooks taking the crust off his dick. <laughs> He's just, he's on a fucking, like, he's on one of those tucked in hotel beds. They haven't even taken the sheets off, and he's got the sock garters on and just going to town on a I love the idea of David Brooks taking his dick out of his khakis, and it talks to him like, uh, uh, like the bullets in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> hey, taking, it, taking us out for a spin again, huh, boys? <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> this dick has, has the same wireframe glasses. Shit. <laughs> Fuck. I'm not going to be able to think of anything other than that for the rest of my life. Oh, I'm going to be one of the, Isn't the one, one of the bullets like a prospector? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, we're, we're going into her gulch. Damn Marvin. <laughs> There's gold in that in our second mountain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's it for this episode yeah. oh god damn it go oh and, man uh, a few more here this is a uh, again uh, the, the details about their uh love of augustine and dorothy day are repeated in the washington post new york magazine and the new yorker it's just like why do we need three people to write these articles? <laughs> there is so much coverage <laughs> yes. of this guy fucking yeah. he must be amazing at it also there's, i love that like, every time he fucks it's like it's like every time Guiado talks. Like there's just like seventy five international agencies that are like, who who came first, David? I love that it's always the same. They're always impressed. Ooh, they're so their cult. Their relation their uh, relationship is so rich and, and cultured. Doris Day and Saint Augustine. It's just those are just. That, give me a third. At least one more name, for Christ's sake. Yeah, I mean, Doris Day uh, was funny. Give, give me a third. That's what David Brooks will be selling <laughs> to young Anne about a year and a half or so into this next marriage. Um, I mean, Doris Day was funny, but how much can you talk about her? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> All right. Uh, th this is from the New Yorker profile of this exact same subject. Holy An shit. An old depressed how? man getting laid again. Uh, how much? Oh, my God. This is like if there was international coverage of Kirk Van Houten. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> there is how much, how many, like, think of all the man hours dedicated to asking this guy about what it's like to, you know, fuck as a middle-aged man. Well, that's the thing. They're doing it because, like, with the people sympathetic to the Nazi lady who wants to get back into uh, the media, 
these people are all him and relating. They highly relate to getting horny in middle age and wanting to fuck a younger woman. All right, this is great. So uh, they're describing um, a sort of uh, a road to Damascus moment for David Brooks here. One morning, passing through Penn Station at rush hour, Brooks was overcome by the feeling that he was moving in a sea of souls. <laughs> Not the hair and legs and sneakers, but the moral part. It was like suddenly everything was illuminated and I became aware of an infinite depth on each of these thousands of people. They were living souls. In Brooks. Penn Station, In David? Penn Station, I've never had that feeling. Yeah, yeah. In Penn Station, <laughs> all you're just constantly like, it just guys coming back from their weekend house in Connecticut trying to cut you in line to get a watery latte. <laughs> it's probably one of the most soulless places oh God, I've ever it's been like, in, in my When you're there, life. all you feel is meat. Like everyone is meat. Well, no, actually, I feel like quite. I feel like Dwayne Hoover in Breakfast of Champions, in which I'm convinced that everyone else is a robot and I'm the only <laughs> real person. And they, they don't. They're not. They're, they're not. They don't matter. They're not real. So the fact that he's having this religious experience in Penn Station, which honestly, if you haven't been there, is Our the garbage. most miserable place Awful. in the world. That, that, Subterranean shithole. This is literally like if Christ appeared to you in the M M&M and M store. Like, I could, no, but the funny thing is, I could imagine having a similar feeling walking into the huge vaulted ceiling of Grand Central Station and having a, or the a, original Penn Station or the original. Yeah, you could having that kind of grandeur of just seeing lives going on and people hustling about. But it, that's not the interesting thing about this. So he goes. Uh, I had, the, for the first time, felt an infinite depth on each of these thousands of people. They were living souls, Brooks writes in his book, The Second Mountain. Suddenly it seemed like the most vivid part of reality was this. Souls waking up in the morning. Souls riding the train to work. Souls yearning for goodness. Souls wounded by earlier traumas. With that came a feeling that I was connected by radio waves to all of them. Some underlying soul of which we were all a piece. Okay. This is like... Okay, wait, let me just finish, like, if you had done LSD in high school like every other normal person, you would have had this elementary yeah. moral breakthrough in yeah. your teenage years. Yeah. But he's just, he's so horny, his brain is releasing like DMT <laughs> while he's walking through Penn Stations looking for like an Auntie Annie's pretzels or something. <laughs> Auntie Anne's or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, he's, and he just, he's like, wait a second. All these other people. They have their own inner lives, thoughts, and feelings, and it's sort of like the experience of being alive in the universe is like we're connected in some way. Damn, that pussy must be great. He is such a fucking bimbo. <laughs> no, he is one of the uh, just vapid. He has never had an interesting insight or thought in his entire life. It's just room temperature fucking water, just sitting in a glass collecting dust. For forty fucking years, and he's a millionaire off it. Yeah, this is this is like what an influencer writes about Penn Station. Think about. I used to think they were just you know feet walking, but those feet are connected to bodies, and those bodies have souls inside of them. He and is, souls live lives. He is like if Dockers had a column, <laughs> like if Dockers was a had like a personal voice and wrote down newspaper columns. You, you you brought up earlier his obsession with the patio man. Yes, and uh, th this is invoked as well. Uh, he's talking about um, his writing uh, during the Bush years, like the Bobos in Paradise yeah. thing. That was his first, uh, you know, sort of big book that attempted to, I don't know, digest the cultural zeitgeist, which essentially mean that like 
uh, boring people in the suburbs wanting to be seen as cool too. That's basically yeah, just, it. That's Incredible it. insight. Um, so he goes here. Um, Brooks sought to explain the conservative mood building in America's outer suburbs by introducing the agreeable composite character of Patio Man, hey! who wanted a society from the mid 20th century and grilling technologies from the 22nd. Hey, hey. Okay, first of all, the grilling technologies of the 20th, 21st, and 22nd century, or even dating back to the 10th century, pretty much the same. Yeah, what the hell does he think is going to happen <laughs> in the next hundred years you, for fucking technology for see, grilling? Do you see a fucking sign on my patio that says dead value storage? <laughs> It goes, uh, Patio Man, he says, um, this is quoting from the book now, he says, I don't know if you've ever noticed the expression of a man who is about to buy a first-class barbecue grill, Brooks wrote. He walks into a Home Depot or Lowe's, and his eyes are glistening with a faraway zeal, right, like so one of those old prophets gazing into the promised land. Horseshit. This is, this is what you, your brain imagines when you haven't gotten your nut off in over, yeah. since the Carter administration. Absolutely. Um, the details mount. The citrus tarragon trout fillets that await on his deck. The male friends dressed in Tommy Bahama shirts who are no more than 25 pounds overweight. Brooks imagines Patio Man's unease around immigrants, which helped it to nudge him and out to the far suburbs, but also the cohesion of the community he built there, one based on an idealized small town, an old-fashioned place out of modern materials whose political ideas are responsibility, respectability, and order. Brooks' characterizations are broad, but his keel is even. I love that in his description of this, this gentle Patio Man type character, he basically just describes like the nascent stages of American fashion. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like this is the social basis for yeah, was it responsibility, respectability, and order. Wasn't that the slogan of the Vichy French party? <laughs> yes, like? work, work, family, state, or something like that. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, kick, uh, what was it? Uh, children, uh, church, uh, 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 Kinderkirsch, Kinderkirsch culture, or something. Something like that. So it says here. Uh, one more thing about patio man. Patio man may have been in conservative places for benign reasons in church on Sundays for the sense of spiritual order. And watching Fox News for the valorization of Navy SEALs. So there you go. That's another thing Patio, Patio Man is into, the he valorization just, of our, he, you know, you know over, overseas hit squads. Exactly. You know, he's a nice guy. He likes to his grilled meat, and he, then he likes to relax by getting vicarious thrills about murdering foreigners. He gets off on it sexually. Normal guy. He just spends all of his day in his obscenely huge house that he absolutely does not <sighs> need with all of his bullshit tchotchkes and just thinks... Yeah, I would kill, I'd say, hmm, five billion people to maintain this lifestyle, and I wouldn't care. Uh, normal, normal, cool dude. Now, in the second mountain, I got to say, he's sort of getting into that Marianne mindset that we've discussed recently on the show. The second mountain is about shedding the ego and losing the self, about contribution rather than acquisition, egalitarianism rather than elitism. Brooks writes, the satisfaction of second mountain people is deeper it is indeed a bigger second mountain. Second people. mountain people. It's deeper because Jesus. it's a bigger mountain. In case you didn't realize, the second mountain is a bigger mountain than the first mountain. So you may think you're on top of the second mountain, but oh my god, you're, you have not reached the summit. Yet. It's also a tighter mountain. So it goes here. Um, it leads not to happiness, but to joy. The more Brooks works that describe the joy of second mountain people, the more frankly sexual it sounds. It's when the skin barrier between you and some other person or entity fades away and you feel fused together, Brooks writes. In his introduction, Brooks quotes a Christian academic named Belden Lane who wrote in a spiritual memoir, Backpacking with the Saints, whenever I plunge into the wilderness, my body and the environment move in and out of each other in an intimate pattern of exchange. In the margin, I wrote, 
Brooks, is this book about humping? <laughs> Seriously, did that, did that, that get, is the bombest pussy on earth. Was, Jesus Christ. Was the fucking backpacking with the Saints guy, was he Mr. Hands? <laughs> this honestly feels like his first wife never actually had sex with him, and he didn't know what it was. Yeah. Like he thought like humping a couch cushion was sex, and now this woman actually has sex with him, and he's a, just his mind has been yeah, blown. Well, they have he kids like, together, so I mean, assumably they've uh, had intercourse. But uh, you'll remember the funny thing about David Brooks's first marriage is that she, his first wife, converted to Judaism for David Brooks, but in the process of converting to Judaism, legally changed her first name yes. from Jane to Sarah, which is a more biblically, yeah. you know, sort of more traditionally Jewish name. Now, how do you think she feels? That um, this he's, le- he's left her and is now in the process of converting to Christianity, well, and has said, I, "Like I'm on the fence about whether Christ was actually the Messiah or Son of God." <laughs> and I, I think we know which way he's going to land. Oh, on that we question. know. I mean, you know, <laughs> there was another great wise king who uh, his only error was abandoning the covenant with God out of horniness, and Brooks and Solomon, you know, one and the same, equally as wise. It's just I mean, it's such a perfect example of how politics boils down in a large part to sexual pathology i just wish you would admit it i think i do think there is some desire like what well, i think the maybe the funniest like sequence in curb your enthusiasm is the episode where larry thinks he's a gentile <laughs> do you remember that i remember that one yeah, and yeah. he like he drinks beer watching sports at a bar and like drinks milk with his food <laughs> Like goes fishing, and I think there may be a little bit of that. I do like it. Is, this is a midlife crisis thing, but because he's like a fundamentally boring person, it's not like he's not gonna. Do you remember Aubrey McClendon? Who's that again? He was a Oklahoma natural gas magnate. Oh yeah, is that the guy who fucking killed himself? And he in just embezzled millions and then killed himself by driving his Ferrari full speed into a brick wall. Yeah. Just awesome. <laughs> Just fucking awesome. Like, piece of shit as a guy, but, like, if you're gonna, like, you're just, like, f- I've, like, done everything. My life's pointless. What can I do? Like, fucking sick. Yeah. Dave Brooks isn't gonna do that. No, like, but that- the, the exciting thing, there is, like, the... Someone once said, I forget whose quote this is, but basically... The concept of the Jew in like modern literature is that they know they're an outsider, but they're not an outsider to anyone else, but it drives them insane. And that's, I don't think that really applies to Jews in America anymore. It's just like, especially in the spaces that David Brooks is in, full assimilation. But if you're a fundamentally boring person and you've lived your life and stated these values and lived them or tried to live them and your life just fucking, you have the same gnawing feeling and you... You don't necessarily want to kill yourself, but you would like to be passively murdered so you don't have to be alive anymore. <laughs> uh, your exciting thing is like Gentiles seem pretty happy. Yeah, no, I really think that's just, it. He's just jumping ship to something that he thinks will work. But it's like, guess what? All those fucking uh, all those patio men in the deep south are fucking miserable. The only happy people in America are the guys who wear Thanos flat prints. Yes. And, those, and Mormons. And if Mormon. he really wants to go, he should go full hog, go Mormon. Don't stick around with evangelicalism. Go the next level. That's the third mountain. That's the third mountain is Mormonism. <laughs> no, that's a, that's think about how fun that is, though. You're hanging around in your finished basement with your buddies selling MLM products back and forth. You got six kids with six kids with a combined 15 Ys in their names. It's awesome. Yeah, and you know what? That's not the third mountain. Judaism, Christianity, those are mountains. Mormonism is a fucking planet. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's its own planet. Third rock from yeah, the sun. They are. So, they are so, so like... 
I feel like in the future, like America, after the climate slash nuclear holocaust, when we're rebuilt by Thanos, Flatbrim, Ohio guys, and Mormons, it'll be a you know bipolar nation. Just two powers in the nation it will be Youngstown and then Utah. Yeah, but Youngstown we, and Salt Lake. We yeah. will eventually achieve utopia. Absolutely, with a synthesis between the. There two. will be no more imposter syndrome. There will be no more uh, anxiety. Yeah, there's, there's no just, cat person sexual encounters. Nope. You just you meet a woman. You, the two ways to engage in courtship are you meet a woman, you shake her hand, and then you get married, and you have <laughs> seventeen children named Ephiamicus or fucking whatever, or you know, you and a woman send each other Anchorman memes uh, until yep. you just fucking have couch sex. Yep. And become Harley Quinn and the Joker together. Yep. You do that cosplay. <laughs> yeah. And your kids are, you know, your kids are named fucking like Catwoman and Thandos. <laughs> and you, those are the two ways to live your life. And eventually, like, the two kingdoms will merge. Uh, it'll, it'll be a be, dynastic marriage. No more alcohol, but it's okay to do opiates. Yeah. You can drink carbonated beverage. You can, the only caffeinated carbonated beverages you can have are energy drinks. No Coke. Yeah. That just gets you fat. You can drink bang though. Like that's that's it's, it's, the, that's true spiritual it's progression. True because this guy this this route, this like bored rich guy thing, it really does it's all like he's fucked up. This is not gonna work. Like let's check in on him in oh, another year. Oh, this is gonna end in so many tears. The only one who knew how to do this was Yukio Mishima. He knew how to handle that feeling. Can you imagine what Brooks's Mishima coup is? He's gonna want to try to install like the ghost of Jack Kemp as president. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna suck uh how would he what, what what's even his equivalent of seppuku like he tries to fucking decapitate himself with a roomba <laughs> like, <laughs> that's going nowhere this is ending in tears you know we need you know honestly i'm not one of those people who's like oh how come the new york times publishes these guys but no lefties i don't give a shit about the new york times op-ed page but i do think these guys are boring and if you just made a deal where you replace all these boring, like, never Trump conservatives slash centrists with Mormons, I would accept that 100%. One last bit of coverage from the David Brooks world. This does not come courtesy of the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, New York Magazine, New Yorker Magazine, Vanity Fair, Vogue, and pretty much every other. They all got in on this. This comes is from, there is there like an intelligent is there like is it like the rush thing where like seventeen intelligence communities report on this guy's sex life? <laughs> this one comes courtesy. This is a more boutique outlet, but it's another one of our favorites. It's Rod Dreher, everybody. Hell yeah, Rod Dreher, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Fine, enough of that freak. Finally, read like a normal guy. <laughs> yeah. one average so, dude. So uh, obviously, Rod, um, wouldn't you know it, is actually close friends with both Anne and David. Can't believe it, and is thrilled about David's you know oncoming conversion to uh, Orthodox Christianity. So, uh, but but there's another issue that concerns Rod more than all of these. So I'm just going to read now from the book of Rod. Uh, Brooks also talks openly about how he met his wife, Anne, in the wake of the collapse of his first marriage. David and Anne are friends of mine, so I haven't talked about it here. I haven't talked about their personal life here. But David does do so in his book. Anne was his research assistant in the past. They fell in love after his marriage to his first wife ended. Mm -hmm. Anne is a very strong Christian. David says in his book that most people who know her describe her as incandescent. (laughs) And yes, I would say the same thing about her. I can tell you that I'm completely confident that nothing improper happened between them before his divorce and until their marriage. Let the reader understand. 
I bring this up here because there has been... On a, their wedding night, I went in and inspected the sheets. <laughs> yeah, no, Rod, yeah, Rod was absolutely confirmed this. Yeah. So he goes here, I bring this up here because there has been and continues to be lots of vicious gossip about them. <laughs> I despise it because no one wants to see people they care about being trashed in public. In this case, being trashed in public, what, implying that they had sex before they got married yeah. or while there was some overlap with his last miserable marriage? Yeah. I mean, like... It's not like an uncommon thing that happens yeah, here. Yeah, but that makes you, that's the worst thing for Rod, though. You're violating the sanctity so of the marriage here, contract. So he goes here, I despise it even more because he put this in boldface. It is not true. I bring it up here as a warning. I will not publish any comments critical of them. I do it out of loyalty my, to my friends, but again, also because it pains me to personally watch people who do not know what happened take personal pleasure in tearing down people who do Go not off, deserve King. it and who are suffering because of lies and gossips they love to spread. So Hell don't yes. even start on this topic. If I believed that they had done anything wrong, I would attack them. But I, <laughs> no, he says, I would not attack them, but I would keep a respectful silence. I am certain that they did not do anything wrong, and my conscience won't let me stay quiet while they are being gutted. <laughs> so here is the question, David. Quote. Okay, so he just goes on to talk about the book. Damn. But he just, I love that he is Rod, ride or die. Yeah, I love that Rod had to tell his commenta- commenters, if you even so much as imply that anything untoward, first base, no, second base, <laughs> definitely not, third base, you're banned forever. <laughs> if you imply that the crust of David Brooks's fertile soil was plowed <laughs> deeply, and the the shoots of spring shot forth from the its wet dampness. <laughs> I will ban you from commenting on my blog, sir. I know for a fact. I ins- yeah, I inspected them both. <laughs> I, I like the idea of there it it sort of being like a four chan H chan spinoff. Like all the commenters from Rod's blog who want to speculate <laughs> if there was an affair have to start their own blog. So David Brooks, he has got he is. Got into the mountaintop and found uh, this sucks. My my life is boring, and everything I've written is pablum for dum dums. <laughs> is what can I do to fix myself? I don't know. Have an affair, get a second marriage, write an equally stupid book, convert just to Christianity, it, convert to Christianity. Just keep the stupid train going. I can't wait for him to uh, show up on a Sunday talk show with the goatee shaved head look. Of oh, divorce guys everywhere. Yes, that David Brooks awesome. and David Brooks like fifty leather bracelets. Yes. Oh, we should get one of the, the like the the woven rope bracelets like uh, Detective Harry Bosch has. <laughs> yes, but if, also if, I like if David Brooks just keeps playing roulette, he's gonna land on Black Israelite eventually. <laughs> I'm uh, excited. I just like you know this is all very funny. Uh, David Brooks is a is a hilariously you know, oafish nebbish character, but um, what I love is like all of his sort of like. This sort of supposedly like searing moral, uh, like inwardly looking account of his own life and failings that he's supposedly going at no point does. Oh, I don't know. Advocating for the Iraq war relentlessly up until, I don't know, about last year when he decided it was a mistake. At no point does he ever take stock of that to be like, oh, that's a moral failing on my part. Uh, All of my shitty political beliefs and the fact that I've outside of my books have basically used my columns to advocate on behalf of the war on terror, uh, the war in Iraq, and basically every stupid, uh, you know, shitty social conservative program or fucking tax scheme. No, none of that. That doesn't register with him because it, like, in no way would that make him a bad person in his own mind. No. Because- he is still like his soul. Now that he's discovered he has a soul, he thinks it's pure even despite, you know, I don't know, Fallujah. 
You, you know, you can't make an omelet. Well, I, you know, I was fine, like, ragging on specifics of how this guy fucks <laughs> and all this, but now we're kind of getting personal with him, and that's where I get off. I'm, I've been getting off this entire <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah, dude. We've all been getting oh, off. Oh, man. Imagine David Brooks playing the violin. Oh, hell yeah. Swizzle stick flute, baby. <laughs> yeah. What do you say, guys? Uh, I'm going to be thinking about this uh, for the rest of my life. So thank yeah, you. You love to think about it. Going to be thinking about his little talking penis. Till next time. Bye bye. Next time. Cheers. Damn, <laughs> <laughs> what is Sam here? Daddy Valiant. Well, you're a sight for sore. I ain't seen you deny on to five years. Where you been? Drunk. You feeling frisky tonight, fellas? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> <laughs>